season four premiere what is good uh malik and i got a special episode for you all we can't wait uh, to kick things off we had the chance to run a guest speaker session for cassette uh, to speak about liberation during black history month and we want to turn that around and make that a podcast episode so everyone could listen and we could kind of amplify that conversation so we'll jump right into that i just want to give that context and intro first enjoy Perfect. Um, so thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, welcome to the Black History Month guest speaker session. Um, so during this session, we're gonna be talking about what liberation means in our work, our personal lives, relationships, and what it means to bring your true self to work and why the idea of professionalism can be limiting. Um, so join me in welcoming Dak Turner. He's a product designer at TWG, a delight business arm. Um, and in his previous life, Dak was also an account manager in the advertising industry as well. Um, and we all know um, this lovely face, Malik, <laughs> Nice Cassetter. He is um, currently Global Partnerships Manager at MLSC, doing all the great things for the Raptors and everything on beyond that. Um, and he also was the account supervisor on McDonald's before um, he went and made that huge leap to, to MLSC. Um, together, Malik and Dak are the co-founders and co-hosts of the Mad Mix, a space for the young professionals to get for young for young professionals to get their their ideas their ideas out and speak on their journey uh, and learn from one another. Um, it's a very engaging podcast. It, it's very much uh, conversational and just has the clip of their personality weaved throughout it. Um, and so we're really excited to hear them speak with us today um, and engage in a discussion um, that will bring a lot, a lot of really interesting insights to the forefront. Um, so yeah, welcome me in, um, uh, in congratulating and, and bringing these guys forward to this amazing talk that we're gonna hear today. Um, so with that, uh, I'll pass it over to Dak and Malik. Thank you. Thank you so much, Theo, for the intro. Um, thank you, everyone, for sharing your, your lunch hour with us. It's uh, very appreciative. Uh, we're very appreciative of that. Um, so, Theo, you kind of mentioned it, the Mad Mix. Um, it's kind of the space for young professionals to get their ideas out there. And it started like five, six years back as just a blog site, really, where you could talk about relevant news from a marketing perspective via an article. And over the years, we've evolved the medium to have video content and video interviews to now more recently, a podcast that we do every week where it's similar to what we're gonna be doing today. We're having authentic conversations about work culture, um, diversity in tech and advertising and marketing, um, different kinds of things from you know, a social standpoint or pop culture and relate that all to our experiences, which is in marketing, advertising, and in tech. And why we want to structure it that way today, you know, is not for it to be this presentation where you have to take notes and there's all these, you know, bullet points and information. It's really just for you to sit in and, and participate and watch and engage in a conversation that two black men, two friends will be having, whether it wasn't recorded. Um, and that's really the lens that we want to approach today is being able to watch us talk about a conversation on, on liberation and how that affects the different areas of our life. Yeah, and one thing to jump in on too, it's very much uh, a conversation that I've totally realized that we are just two black guys, our voices don't represent an entire community. But like you said, Baz, really it's just a, a discussion between, and, and an insight into a conversation between two young black guys who, who worked in the industry. And if you listen to the podcast at all, it'll follow a very, very similar kind of format. But again, it, this is a conversation we want people to be asking questions along the way. Please feel free if you got any 
um, and, and we'll do our best to address it in, in the time frame that we've been given. But I think we're ready to jump in here. Absolutely. Um, to kick things off, we can kind of just level set with the theme for Black History Month, which is liberation. Um, and I believe this was shared in your newsletter earlier, I could set. But I'll just read this out and then we'll go through the different topics that we've kind of um, created that we want to approach this, this topic um, about. So liberation means empowering ourselves to thrive in all aspects of life and in all spaces of our society. It's about sharing and embracing better wellness practices, closing the technological and financial gaps that exist as a result of racially driven barriers of entry, strengthening our communities through culture, defining art and communicating in ways that authentically reflect the plurality of our voices. So that's kind of the definition that was given and we want to go through and actually speak to what liberation means to each of us. Um, and the kind of first topic we have here is, is just that. What does liberation mean to us as, as Black men? Um, and again, this will be a conversation. So I'll, I'll kick it off and then we'll just jump in and do what we do on the podcast. And feel free to, to jump in um, as you see fit. But the way I want to take this for me personally, when I saw liberation, for me, that means freedom and it means comfort. And that's both in you know work, that's in my personal life, relationships, comfort and, and finances. It's being able to exist in kind of my true self and, and feel free in those different spaces. So how I show up to work and how I'm perceived in different rooms. Um, I wanna ensure that I have that comfort to be able to you know, walk in a room and, and be a blank canvas. I can be anyone, I can be anything. Um, that's an experience that I think a lot of Black people and people of color don't really feel they have because there's always these different perceptions of, of who you might be versus, you know, um, someone that is white, per, you know, for example, a white man can walk in a room and can be anyone. They could be a billionaire and you wouldn't be surprised versus a Black man. That's really shocking. Um, so for me, that that liberation of just how I exist in my body and how I'm represented and and how I'm perceived in my everyday life, whether that's work, whether that's through my friends, whether that's in a relationship, like what that kind of looks like. Um, that's kind of how I approach the, the topic of, of liberation is just that true freedom in, in different aspects of my life. Yeah. And I mean, to, to build on that, too, like I think it's a great way to define it, too, whether it's, you know, your work, whether it's your personal life or, you know, relationships, whatever it is, I think the ability to be yourself, present yourself and an authentic way and I know in, in advertising and marketing we throw out the word authentic quite a lot when we're describing various campaigns or reactions that we want from our uh, you know target audience but I think it's just a really really great way to to define what that means and to build on your point Doc uh, comfort and freedom exists based on you know systems right mm -hmm. I think systemic barriers often prevent people from understanding what liberation or comfort really means, you know, whether that's financial, if you, you know, don't come from the greatest area, a system has been designed essentially, and especially for black folk to keep you there. Or if you're working, you know, at a job, it's, you know, you can't present yourself in an authentic way because, you know, you might be perceived a certain way. And that's going to be a big part of like the next part of our, our discussion here, about what it, what it means to be your true authentic self at work. Uh, when I first started at MLSE last year, uh, I was on the tail end of a survey, uh, an EDI survey, and one of the metrics or questions that they that they had asked us was whether or not 
you know, you felt like you could bring your authentic self to work. Uh, and the results between, you know, employees, white employees versus BIPOC was, you know, very different. Uh, and we want to unpack a little bit about what that means. So it might make sense to jump over to the next topic right now. Yeah, sure. You want to kick it off? What does it mean to bring your true self to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, that's an interesting question because I don't I don't have a definition for it right now because I haven't really fully gotten to experience what that means and what that feels like. Wow, um, yeah. When I started in advertising, I, I I think I worked with you at John Street, and you know I was so excited about the opportunity to be like an account coordinator, uh, and you know I tried my best to absolutely fit the system and you know be that cultural fit that you know gets tossed around in HR interviews or screening interviews, whatever. We've all seen it. We've all been a part of it. But what um, does it mean? And what is it like a cultural fit? That's a great question. I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. I think I know the answer, but uh, it's yeah. not my business right now to explain that. But um, I remember just being so excited about fitting in. Um, and you know, I started to grow up a little bit and realized that. Um, presenting yourself and how you present yourself in certain ways can limit you from opportunities. It can put you in a box or keep you in a certain area, um, yeah. not give you opportunities for growth. We talk about glass ceilings a lot in, in marketing and advertising as well, and what that means for uh, you know BIPOC individuals as well. And I think it's something that we faced you know, you, both you and I, Dak, have faced you know, in our careers as well, whether um, it's intentional or not. Um, so I would take yeah. answer the question and I would say like being your authentic self is, is a journey, uh, that I've been kind of going on in the last couple of years and what that means for my development, how I present myself. And right now I'm in a position where I'm managing a full team of people, which is something that I've, I've never really done before. And I have the ability to influence my, my team and my department based on, you know, how I want to present myself. Um, yeah. And when I look back on when I first started, again, it was about fitting the system, understanding the the key stakeholders, the right people to like get to know. But I've kind of like in the last couple of years, I've tried to just shed away from what I previously knew about what being my authentic self meant from a professional standpoint and, what a, and from a personal standpoint. And then merging those two things together, because like ultimately they're not that different. I don't I don't think I would argue. Yeah. Um, and I think being in the position that I'm in right now is really cool because I get to do that. I get to manage a team, you know, with with some black folks and allow them to to be who they want to be in their early stages of the career be, of their career because it's never something that I really felt like I got the option to do um, when I was when I was a bit younger and first starting my career. And that was a part part of it was because of my mentality and my approach of wanting to fit the system so people like me. Yeah, I think that with that, again, like took away from who I thought that I actually was and how I acted outside of work, if that makes sense. But I'll turn the question over to you. Like, I know we talk about a little bit about code switching, and I'm sure that a number of black folks, BIPOC folks on this call know exactly what we're talking about. But maybe I'll maybe I'll flip this one over to you. Yeah, I think one of the biggest barriers of like bringing your true self is something that I've been looking into more recently is the limitation of professionalism and like what that actually means. Um, and I was reading an article about a lot of those standards for appropriate work language and, and clothing can often be rooted in, in white standards that, that were created. 
So you look at something as seemingly simple as the way you have your, your hair. So, you know, not being able to have an Afro or braids or dreadlocks in, in certain work environments is a way to damper the way you bring your true self to work because it's deemed as unprofessional. Um, what you wear on your head, whether it's a, a do-rag or a bonnet, can be seen as ghetto and, you know, hamper the way you approach your job when really it's just something you're wearing on your head. You know, you can wear a baseball cap or a beanie and be completely fine, but, you know, you know maybe some Black folks on this call might even feel like it's weird to even say that you could wear a, a do-rag or, or a bonnet as something on a work call, but that doesn't affect the way you do your job but it affects the way people see you because it's not deemed as, as professional. And that's a construct that's pretty much been created. Um, you look at an example of someone that's a trailblazer in the industry right now is Jermaine Jupiter. He's a technical recruiter at Weld Simple and he's also has his own technical um, recruiting practice. But he made a post recently on LinkedIn that went viral where he's wearing this bright orange neon do-rag um, and he just came out of the meeting and he's saying that this should not you know affect the way people see me i can still do my job regardless of the cloth i have on my head um, and he's basically making a point that you know he works for a company like weld simple that allows him to be his authentic self and doesn't look at him a weird way because he's wearing that on his head but you can imagine 99.9% .9 of companies are going to treat you differently um, based on what you have on your head because they've deemed that as unprofessional, they've deemed that as ghetto and associated with a certain type of person. Um, and I would love to, as we speak about liberation, it would be great to break those things, you know, because there are certain companies now that have had their employees cut off their dreads or limit the way that they show up in order to fit this system of professionalism. And if you have to do that, you're never gonna be able to bring your true self to work. And that's always gonna be a constant mental barrier that you have to fight um, on top of needing to do your job. Right, so, so I guess the question I'm asking you, are you gonna, did you resist the urge to pull up with a do-rag on this call today? I don't have waves, I should have done it, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's so, funny because Jermaine is bald too, so he doesn't need yeah, to wear one, but I think he's doing it for the folks that um, would like to, to wear that or you yeah. know, would feel more comfortable having that on their head. But, you know, for them, it's just like, there's no way they would ever do that in an interview because they're not going to get the job. It's seen as unprofessional. It's seen as ghetto. It's seen as not the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. And I, I think that when you think about something as like, um, I don't know, meaningless, let's call it as, yeah. as a, a rag or a hat or something like even your hair like a hair is a big part of someone's identity right like we talked about this even right before we jumped on this but like imagine if yeah. like you wanted to work somewhere that was like your dream destination but like you had to shave your head or something whether you're you know regardless of your race or gender or whatever it is and you have to shave your head if you want to work there like could you imagine how like ridiculous that would sound or like how stripped of your identity you feel. Um, and I think Absolutely. that like, even just the act of that is just, it's such a small, seemingly insignificant thing that, that takes away a part of who someone actually is. And I'm not saying that like, everyone should just go and buy do rags right now. But I think that like, it's important to understand that even the small little things that may seem 
like, oh, this isn't professional or this isn't this might help someone feel comfortable being who they are and therefore being much more productive at what you want them to do. Um, and I think that's a really important lens to have on it because when you, when you have to think about all the things that you're trying to avoid or you're trying to, to not do to be perceived a certain way, and we'll get into this in two seconds, I think that, you know, it, it puts a lot of mental burden on, on people who are just trying to do their job. You're, right? you're, you're walking on needles, like uh, to just speak to the experience of a lot of, you know, my black women friends or that I've seen, you know, conversations online where they feel like the second that they express a certain amount of passion or raise their voice in the slightest way to show confidence or passion about something, they're seen as aggressive and they're seen as obnoxious or overly cocky. And for them, they have to tone down their, you know, their true self and walk on pins and needles and make sure that, you know, they are minimizing who they are because they're going to be seen as a classic black woman trope, which is loud and angry and obnoxious, which isn't true, but they know that that's how people will perceive them. So again, that's a mental barrier of like, I have to now do my job still, but also think about every little fine detail of what I say because black people don't have the luxury of, of failing upwards, right? You make that small mistake and that's gonna affect your career and affect your advancements in, in many areas. So um, it definitely speaks to that I, the, the idea of bringing your true self to work, which I think leans in well to our, our next topic here, which is pretty much just like, what are some of the barriers that black employees face in the workplace, um, which could you know often be some of the stuff that we've already mentioned, but um, let me know how you want to approach that, Malik. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because, again, to to your earlier point, Doc, it's like black people don't have the privilege of being able to fail upwards, and I think that that's such a that's such a, a stark reality. I think of, of what happens in you know, in the industry these days. You know, we almost have to work twice as hard for, and, and this is no new news either. For anyone who's been paying attention, especially what's happened in the last couple of years, like we started to address these things and realize that there are there are barriers that are almost, you know, unintentionally put, I hope unintentionally put in place to yeah. keep people uh, out of, you know, certain opportunities or areas when all we're just trying to do is just work uh, and, and do the best job that we can. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, it's super important. Um, I'll kind of put it over to you. Like, how can, uh, here's a question that, I, that I've always wanted to ask, uh, is like, how can organizations make sure that um, they're appearing kind of authentic when addressing these types of issues or barriers or concerns that they have with some of the black employees? The thing is, it's like this idea of like appear authentic and like, how do we, um, you know, appear authentic is such an interesting kind of uh, concept. It's like to be authentic. You know, like yeah. if you are about it, then you don't really have to prove and show how much about it you are. So the example I would give is like, you know, D, D, E, and I initiatives. You know, if your black employees, the handful of black employees you have are responsible for your D, E, and I efforts, that's a problem. You know, if, yeah. if you know, it's, it's not our issue to fix the diversity of a company, but I'm think, I think we're seeing a lot of that, especially with the emergence and kind of trend of a lot of these DEI initiatives starting, you know, in 2020, 2021, and this year as well. But 
that's all great. It just shouldn't fall on the hands and backs of, of Black employees because, as you mentioned, Malik, we often have that conversation with our parents at some point where it's like, you have to work twice as hard to receive the same opportunities. And even then you might still not receive those opportunities. Now, if we add a layer of DE and I without extra pay to your current job, you have to now outperform in your job and then also manage the, the diversity, equity and inclusion of your company. And that's just a lot for anyone to deal with. And I think it's a lot mentally um, for, for black employees to, to deal with because you have those things. And then you also have the barrier of I can't, you know, appear as my authentic self at work. I can't speak too confidently. I can't, you know, there's just so many things that you can't do. And at the end of the day, that just continues to like boggle you down as a person, just mentally. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if anyone's actually like nailed that approach yet too. And like fully acknowledging you know, that it's a very difficult issue to, to, to understand and to act in the, in the right way. Like that, that without a doubt is, it's a very difficult situation to be in for companies yep. organizations just just trying to do good i think leading with good intent is is always the, the right approach and there is going to be mistakes that get made or stumbles or whatever it's about how you address that react to it learn and adapt optimize accordingly um but jumping back to your point of like having you know having black employees lead or yeah like lead you know, DEI initiatives while also, you know, off the side of their desk while also trying to do their job. That yeah. like, does a disservice to like the actual DEI initiatives that they're trying to do because, you know, that's an entirely different role. We've seen a million companies in the last two years hire DEI leads or um, consultants or anything like that that I think is great, but it's like, that's a whole team of people that, that needs to be working with the, with the working people. And I think it's a, it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like my, one of my last companies, um, I started the DNI team there because that was a clear gap. I didn't see anyone that looked like me reflected in the, um, in the company. And where I found it was almost just all for show because we have so, we created this team there wasn't really buy-in from the CEO or from executive leadership. And you get to a point where it's like, what are we actually doing here? Like no one is putting any finances behind this or real resources. We're just having these conversations. I'm finding that I have to lead a lot of these conversations and come up with these ideas as if I'm an expert in this space. I'm really just a black guy that wants to see other black people at this company and other diverse folks at this company. Yeah. And for me, it was like, wait, why don't I have these ideas? And I had to remember that I'm not an expert in this space. I'm just a person that just wants to see more diversity reflected. And I actually left that team because there was no progress whatsoever. I think if you want to be authentic, again, you have to be authentic. It's not just appearing authentic. If the CEO, if the executive leadership is not putting resources behind this initiative, it's just a club at that point, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's not much behind it. You need that to be woven through the entire ecosystem of the company. Yeah, man. And, and sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I love, I love Google Hangouts meets. We haven't like cracked the interruption thing yet. It's been a couple <laughs> of years, still working on it. Uh, what I would say, it's like something that's really important uh, that you just mentioned is like the, the, ability, let's call it, to appear authentic versus being authentic. And I think that speaks to 
initiatives that you can, or I would say like public facing versus internal facing communications. That's uh, a differentiating factor of appearing authentic. Like realistically, like everyone wants to, everyone wants to say what they're doing to help make it seem like, you know, DNI is important, which, which I believe that it is for a number of companies that have made statements. But the most important part of all that is talking less out to the industry and working on yourself internally to yeah. make sure that your black employees feel supported in, in one way or another. It's kind of like the, the way that I, I was just thinking about this is like, you know, when like you go to the gym for the first time in a long time and you like take a progress pic and then you like post it on Instagram and be like, guys, I'm getting jacked. I'm super excited. But there's yeah. no real like follow-up or anything from that. It's like a first step, which is a good thing to do, but it's less like, all right, man, you kind of, you got to sh- put in the work. You got to show some of the work here yeah. <laughs> uh, versus just doing it on your own time and making sure that, you know, your organization is doing the things that you set out to do. What's, what's the, the three-year plan? What's the five-year plan? What's a 10-year plan look like here? Um, and how are we measuring those things? Because I, the, I, I've talked about this before and I don't know if it was during my time at Cassette or, or where I'm at right now, but I would say, measuring tangible outcomes, I think is like super important and holding ourselves accountable to those is like incredibly valuable. Like you can't say, you know, or make up a statement and say, look how, look how much we've done. This is, this has been great. It's like, okay, cool. But like, what, what are the metrics? How are you guys like holding yourselves accountable to this? And I think about it like a, like a, a brief that you would see, receive from a client. Like what are, what's the, what's the story we're trying to tell here? What are the key messages? What are the, what are the KPIs? How do we measure our, what are our objectives? Like how do we measure ourselves over the time that we're trying to do this over the course of our three year, five year, 10 year plan? I'm just making those numbers up. I think it makes, I think it makes a lot of sense to be able to measure yourself that way so that like any campaign that you do in the context of advertising, um, you can ultimately optimize along the way. Some things will work, some things won't work, and that's totally okay. But it's just about how you're measuring yourself and will dictate you know, how successful you were in reaching your objectives at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, just the idea of uh, um, you know, kind of that performance marketing, really, like you know, having this shiny post for D&I or for um, your commitment to Black Lives Matter, but then internally, you know, your Black employees are very minimal and they are suffering. Like they're not in, they're not having a great time. They don't feel like their voice is heard. They don't feel reflected. They're not on the board. You know, these are all those things where it's like, oh, you're just being performative. And we've called out tons of companies, tons of brands um, throughout the the couple years on the podcast, and we're going to continue to do so because you need to be held accountable. You know, there was that trend where every company wanted to have a statement or every company wanted to suddenly form their DE&I initiative, but then we haven't heard anything from them since then. And yeah. nothing's happening internally, right? Yeah, I think like, and it, again, like leading with intent is, I, as an optimistic person, I think is a good thing to do. Um, sure. But, but it's, it's super important to, to follow through. And we've all talked about, you know, actions speak louder than words, a sentiment that, you know, holds so true in the context of this conversation here as well. Mm-hmm. But it's like, and, and we'll, we'll acknowledge like solving these systemic issues is not something that's easy to do. It's a lot of Absolutely like, back. it's a lot of looking in the mirror. Like it's not easy to do. And I don't think anyone's like really, really done it 
the right way, or maybe I'm just being ignorant. But I think that that's something that's important to acknowledge too. Like failure is okay. Like you can screw up. That's totally fine. Like I, I think the, the cancel culture type mentality in, in a situation like this, like is, is what people are really afraid of. Um, and, you know, right, rightfully so, rightfully so. You can see what happens to some people. But I think, again, appearing authentic, wanting to do the right thing, trying your hardest to be an ally. Um, and you're not always going to understand how to do that. And that's okay. And it's important to, like, ask questions general, like genuinely. Um, yeah. And, it, and to add to that, to genuinely want to do it and not just do it because there's a microscope on companies now where it's an expectation. I think yeah. you can just identify that clearly when they are about it. And, you know, the CEO, the executive leadership, the company feels like this is the right step versus, oh, we just need to do this because everyone's watching us more closely now and we're going to lose customers or, or lose employees. Very clear to tell the difference. And yeah. Um, hundred percent. Sorry, go ahead and finish your thought. I was going to say, I think we can move on to the the next topic here. But do you have anything else you want to you want to add here? No, no. I think uh, I think we're all good. I guess you know this one is 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 um, fairly simpler, very um, similar to what we were just talking about about that support um, in organizations. But I think we also want to talk about like maybe some of the examples of the ones that are, are doing well. Like if we look at Black Taxi, for example, not to mention another advertising agency but hey the plan is to keep this authentic right you look at black taxi where they have that initiative and they have that support from the ceo and executive leadership to create this space where they can get you know black interns to come in a black internship program as well as um black folks at, at different levels of more senior levels and not just focusing on um, on junior positions. And that's now a full initiative where there's a full playbook of like how to achieve that same system at your company that agencies, agencies should be able to just take and copy, to be honest. I mean, it's all there. The resources are available. Um, that's one that we definitely want to highlight because we've had Stephanie Smalls, um, the creator of Black Taxi on the podcast, and, and she's a friend of the show as well. Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's, it's a it's a good model and everybody's going to work in a different way it's about finding what makes sense for you in the context of your own employees um that will think like define how you kind of move forward with with your own initiative and what makes sense for you but i mean to answer the question here what does support in an organization look like towards the advancement of black employees you know it's funny because i just said that this is a very very difficult thing to you know, achieve and, and overcome. And now I'm yep. in a position where I have to answer the question. <laughs> so again, going back to our original thing, this is just a conversation that we're having. My voices don't represent everybody else. Um, but I would say just like appearing, appearing, uh, leaning in with a, with positive intent and wanting to do good, I think is always a great place to start. Um, and yep. understanding and like, I always look at, you know, the the relationships that employees have with, you know, whether it's their, you know, their colleagues at their level or above them or below them. I don't think matters in the context as much of, of DE&I. I think that that's a, uh, something that can be shattered a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, like a, 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 an intern should be able to speak to a CEO about DEI initiatives and what that means, all that kind of stuff, because it's almost like an equalizer, I would say, to some degree. But again, like leading with with positive intent, wanting to do good, um, 
understanding like and, and listening i think are really important Huge, but, yeah. and like uh, not just listening but the uh, be open to the idea of being challenged you know as as uh, uh, probably a, a lot of white people on the call right now are probably wondering you know how do we how do we have these conversations how do i how do i talk to you know my my black friends or black colleagues around stuff like this without feeling like i'm going to look like an asshole or something like that yeah. um, i think it's just really important to, to just be open and honest and have a conversation about it like it's it's not as hard i don't think for for people to be able to lean into this space and genuinely ask of and and look at themselves to say is there anything that i'm doing right now that is preventing someone from being their authentic self? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, I think it's a really, really good, easy question to ask right off the beginning. Um, because then it says, okay, cool. Well, if you're open to being vulnerable for a sec, um, here's what you're doing. Like, you didn't let me wear a do-rag in this meeting. You didn't, you know, like those kinds of things. I think it's like really important, really easy to just kind of like discuss and hash out. And that's Man, when- and Everyone that's is going to be Googling do-rag if they don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, this, <laughs> this, this conference here was not sponsored by a do-rag company, I promise. Uh, don't use my promo code. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think it's like, it's really important to uh, to, to understand that. Like just and you and you get to know your employees, you get to know your coworkers, colleagues, friends to some degree, um, and learn a little bit about the things that make them feel like they're sheltering stuff uh, and and shielding themselves from being who they truly are. Uh, I think is like a really, really, really good place to start. Yeah, I think you know to answer this question here to echo some of the stuff that you've mentioned is like first you need to understand what are some of these barriers and problems and part of it is conversations like this like where you could listen to a podcast with with black men talk or black men black women black non-binary whatever it is black people talking about these conversations and talking about these barriers that exist because you might be completely blind to the fact that um you know the way black people look at professionalism and how it hampers who they are. That's something that maybe a lot of people don't even realize and maybe didn't even realize until we brought it up on this call that they could be rooted in white standards once you look at it a certain way. Um, so being able to understand those limitations is the first step and then being able to break those down is the, is the second step. That's how you allow your black employees to bring their true self to work. And once you bring your true self to work, there's so much data on like how that just makes you a better employee, a better person. You feel emotionally safe. You feel, um, you know, you feel personally safe, and that's going to allow you to refer your your black friends and you know, um, speak to the company in a more positive way. And that's how you get more black employees there. Because if I'm at a company where I don't feel like I can bring my true self to work. The last thing I'm going to do is get my homie that's also great at his job or her job to come work at this company. If anything, I'm on Indeed looking for another job at that point. So why am sure. I going to bring someone in? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. <laughs> and Melissa makes a great point in the comments here, like believing what BIPOC folks are, are or what they're saying yeah. uh, and understanding those barriers. So again, like it goes back to like the notion of being challenged and that's uncomfortable. People are being put in positions right now where they're like, I have to question my identity. I have to question whether or not I have, you know, contributed to 
you know, barriers that keep people from being authentic and being themselves, right? Mm -hmm. It's not easy to do. It's like looking in the mirror and really understanding who am I and how am I contributing to this problem, uh, I think is is not a lot, it's not easy thing for for people to do and that's respectable, right? But I think it's like starting there and being challenged is, is a good place to start. Again, like listening to people in a real, like no one's trying to take advantage of the situation here. Like no one's like, oh, if I, I want to tell my boss that, and I keep talking about this do-rag thing, but it's like, I want, I'm telling, I'm telling her because I want to wear my do-rag to work so bad and, and that's that. It's like, well, no, it's like, it's not necessarily just about that. It's about what that represents, what's it mean. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, one's, no one's trying that hard to wear a do-rag at work for like <laughs> a statement piece, unless you're, unless you're Jermaine Jupiter, which I think was awesome. But yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it, it's important for, for people to realize that, like, just listen, just listen to what people have to say. And you're not you might not nail it the first time you may start struggle or catch yourself or, you know, whatever. But I think that that's progress. And like conflict is always, um, uh, I would say, like a, a factor in, you know, the progression process. Right. I'm having to be better. I think being learning to be better comes with like challenging yourself and uh and that's not always e- the easiest thing to do it's not but also it's like it is it's like <laughs> you know what i mean like if I you're know. running a, if you're running a company and you're not listening to your employees you're not a good leader i'm just gonna say that you're not a good leader and i think we almost baby a lot of these uh companies too much where it's like oh, you got to change the way you talk to your employees. We're going to give you like 10 years to do that, to increase the diversity of your workforce. Take all the time you need. Just check in with us. These aren't hard things to do. You know, get the right people in place, create a team. You have, if you're about it, you will make it happen. Yeah. If you, you, sorry, finish your thought. No, yeah. I think that's the issue. It's like they're half in it. They're doing it because it's a trend. They're not really about, they're not really authentic in, wanting to, they don't even see a problem, to be honest. You know, they look around and they see a handful of black employees that seem happy, you know, they're smiling, it is what it is. It's like, what do we need to fix here? That's how a lot of them are looking at, you know, their current situation. And it's only now that, you know, our voices are being amplified more where it's like, no, this handful of black employees, like they are having a tough time because you slap the DNI initiatives on them. They can't bring their true self to work. They don't see themselves reflected. You know, we had kind of jokes at John Street where it's like we had a collection of what, six or seven black employees out of 160 and we'd go to lunch together. That fits all within a 10 person reservation. You know, like that's the entirety of the the black employees that work. And we go and we complain about our, our job together and complain about, you know, diversity issues and things like that. And, you know, we'll walk by kind of white coworkers. It's like, oh, that's nice. They're all, they're all together. And, <laughs> you know, this is a like, real thing. This is a wrong. real thing that black employees go through at, in every industry, really, you know? Yeah. So I'm all about putting pressure on these companies. I think we've given them enough time to, to kind of make these changes and to be about it. And I'm going to go somewhere where I feel like I can be my true self. If not, I'm taking my talents for self speech. I love that. I was hoping you would drop that one in there. I was hoping <laughs> that one in there. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, what we have next, I, I believe we have just like, you know, a QA. I think, you know, if anyone 
again, it doesn't even have to be a question. It could just be a comment if there are black employees, if there are white employees, if there's BIPOC, whatever it is. Like if you want to share your experience or share an insight on something that we've mentioned, something that we didn't mention that you felt maybe needed to be included in this conversation, um, we'd like to just open that floor now if you want to unmute yourself or type your comment in the chat and we can do it Thanks. that way. Thanks for that, Jack. Like, honestly, I think that like what you, the points you guys made are, um, are spot on. Um, and, and this kind of like circling things back to the idea of what liberation is, you know, and I think liberation is the freedom to exist, you know, the freedom to exist as you are and yeah. you have the same opportunities as anyone else. And um, I think what, what you're talking about in terms of like the support of like companies and what we need to be doing is like this to make sure that there is that empathy to provide that liberation to the people who, who yes. need it. Right. You can't really have a, have a leadership team that, that doesn't focus on that empathy and doesn't focus on making sure that their employee, their, their employee workforce um, feels liberated and feels like they can show up as an authentic self. And I think it's changing the idea of what Western professionalism is. You know, I think the idea of Western professionalism is a thing that stifles um, our true selves. Yeah. Um, I think it's a thing that totally needs to be brought into the way of contemporary life. And you can see it in a lot of uh, spaces that have a more smaller or startup kind of mentality where they do embody that into their workplace culture. Um, and I think that's where a lot of like um, workplaces that have been around for a while should be taking notes from, taking notes from the people who actually are creating a contemporary workplace culture and seeing the mm -hmm. things that are outdated in the way that we operate our business. Um, but that's more of just a statement just to kind of elaborate on what you guys were saying. But if there, are any, yeah. if there are any more questions or anybody wants to chat about it, I'm like, what you feel um, we should be making points about or what are the things that we should be brought to attention or are there other things that we should be paying attention to in terms of liberation for all of us? Um, I can jump into that too. I think even Theo building on your point that you just made regarding in our context of workplace like Cassette that is or Cassette Citizen uh, Plus company that has existed for such a long time. I think there was a theme of unlearning and I think like maybe like putting it as liberation is unlearning. Um, personally, or Malik, to your point of coming in and just wanting to fit in, and you have to unlearn that to really find out your authentic self. So, I think you know a lot of us are also unlearning. I know I'm unlearning a lot of what I thought was right and authentic, and finding my authentic self. But then also when on the other side as well, for companies that have existed for such a long time, I think unlearning some of these practices and expectations and things that have been put in place to truly allow authenticity to grow. So. But a question, yeah, just a comment as well, I think. Love it. I'm very interested. I mean, Doc, I know Malik, you touched on a lot of your early experiences. Doc, I'd love for you to maybe even touch on what you had to unlearn from like when you started in the industry, what were your definitions of authentic and how that has evolved now? Yeah, like I, uh, so I started in advertising. I was very young getting in the industry. I was 20 years old. Um, so I was like the youngest at the agency and there weren't many black people either. So. For me, I changed the way I dressed, made sure my earrings were out and everything. And that was the way I was for a few years in that industry because, you know, I'm looking at the idea of the culture fit, right? And I want to be able to get along with the white boys club that very much is advertising at that time. And, and you know, even now where those conversations are happening about cottages and the bands you're listening to and all that and for me I'm just like I have no idea what this is but I need to like change who I am to fit into that and that's just a small example but for me it seems so big because I was changing my identity 
um, at work where my friends would see me after I leave my, my job and they're like, you don't look like that. You don't talk like that. You don't act like that. It's a completely different person. Um, and I think over the years of just getting more mature and now being in tech where I've worked at startups and now um, a tech agency, it's so different in the sense that I don't have to code switch anymore. Um, just the language that I use, obviously, you know, I'm not speaking in Toronto slang at, at my company, right? But I'm speaking in a way that still feels authentic to myself. Um, and I think I still have, you know, waves to, to get to where I really want to be. But I think each year I'm kind of shedding that idea of, you know, professionalism and, and being a certain way. And I think I can truly say that my work self is how I am with my friends and my family and, and, uh, just in general. So, and it's, it's how, we, yeah, I, I'd say like, that's how we become, we become leaders in the industry too, right? Like I want to lead by example. Uh, whenever I, you know, move up the ladder further than, than what I am now and I have the ability to influence more, I want people to show up and be like, you know, whether you like this or this or where you come from or whatever, like, shouldn't matter. Then what matters to me the most is creating a, an environment where people can feel like they can just be whoever they are from all walks of life. Um, and then celebrating that too, because it's like you want to build a team with people who have different perspectives, different ways of viewing things. And maybe, you know, things aren't always going to, you know, coexist in the easiest way. But I would say like that friction is a part of progress. And I think that that's super important too, as, as a, a black man, you know, rising the ranks in, in the industry for me to not lose sight of um, so that I can help continue to influence, I think, in the right way. Absolutely. Great way to put it. Yeah, that uh, that representation is, is super key because Malik, now you're an industry leader, right? Like you're at you're at a role where <laughs> folks are just coming out of <laughs> not to inflate your ego too much. But, you know, folks are just coming out of school, especially, you know, black people. They can look at you and they're like, oh, this guy can be himself at work and he's been able to make it to this level. I can also do the same and I don't have to completely switch my identity because I can be like Malik, because he's a, a great guy with an amazing podcast. And a hard time disagreeing. <laughs> but no, it's a, you. You bring up a good point, right? And it's like that that leadership and ability to be represented a certain way and influence people um, in in good ways. Uh, I think is like something that I I, I always want to hold true to, and I think it's just like a fundamental person. Um, as trait, personality trait of who I am. We got a couple couple comments in here. Idris, you want to read those out for me? Yeah, I can jump in. Yeah. So the first one is from Sarah. You'd mentioned maybe starting a black internship program. Do you know the best way to do that? How do we start that while still showing equal opportunities to others in the BIPOC community? If we want to support and elevate the entire the entire BIPOC community, is there a recommendation on the orders to do that in, or if it makes sense to just start a BIPOC internship? So maybe we can take that first one because this is a three-part question. I think it's yeah, it's a really good question, and I would say like the when I think of of internships or entry-level positions, um, I start with a lim like identifying understanding what barriers can go into that like and you know and as that pertains to your talent pipeline right like um scoping out areas uh in 
in which black people are trying to express themselves, whether it's through art or whatever, um, in, in different ways other than advertising. And I'll answer this question in the context of advertising just to have it make sense. But I think historically within the advertising industry, um, it's, it's kept a lot of black people out because one, like I'm sure that there to, to a degree, not a lot of people understand that this industry is exists or you can make money off of, you know, uh, being a creative person. I don't think that that's like established enough within like the school board system. I think to date that, you know, accurately translate the, the amount of talent that that's coming out of these schools. Um, but even then, like, I would say like making sure that you're not doing, you know, you know, any pay barriers to, to get in there, um, you know, looking in different places other than your, your talent pipeline that you would typically go through. Certain uh, schools, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there it, certain schools, like opening that pool up so that it's not just the same people coming from the same schools who have the same privilege and have the same opportunities. I think it's really important to like understand how granular you can get with some of these things and understand how those types of, you know, programs that you think are doing good because they're getting people into the system can often keep a lot of people out. I think it's super important to, to acknowledge. Doc, I don't know if you want to build on anything. I think you smashed that. I think that was a, a great answer. Um, you also just need to look at, yeah, you kind of mentioned it, Malik, of like where um, the, the diverse landscape of your, of your, of your, um, your company or your agency, like, you know, if black people are, you know, consistently at the bottom of that, then you need to focus more efforts on that community. If it's, you know, other folks in the kind of BIPOC lens, then I think a BIPOC internship makes sense. I think you don't have to just do black employees. If you notice that, you know, also Asian employees or, you know, employees of Indian descent, whatever it is, are, are also not really represented. I think you want to make sure that your agency is reflecting like the identity of Canada, you know, or identity of Toronto or, or wherever you're kind of operating in, where you're kind of following those different um, representation numbers for the most part. It's a good question, though. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Eric. Next question here from Malav. What kind of steps are crucial for senior management to take uh, to create a truly equitable workplace? Just curious to know from all the experience that you've had so far. This is another excellent question. I would say like leading with uh, empathy, like I kind of mentioned before, the ability to, to be challenged and open yourself up, I think is, is a natural first step for anybody to take because it's easy to like, go through and look at these different programs and, and adapt them, optimize them, whatever, but it's still going to address the, the issue if you are the problem or you are a representation of the barriers that are being put in place to keep people out. So I would say looking at yourself in the mirror, if you're in a position where you can influence the direction of an agency or influence hiring practices or business models, whatever it is, I think it's really important to have a hard look at yourself and realize that you can do better. And if you want to do better, you will be better. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. So like, that's, that's the first step I would say to creating an, an equitable workplace. And I think many agency leaders who I've spoken with people who I'm talking to right now at my current, um, at my current occupation are always open to, to progressing. It's just a matter of like, how do we actually do that? And I don't think it, I don't think it starts with something like, super tangible. I just think it starts with something like that exists up here 
um, beyond the context of your work and, and how you can represent that same sentiment in you know the work the workplace that you can help influence. Yeah, and I think just to add some some color to that, um, we're all critical thinkers here. We all know how to you know identify problems and solve problems. I think it's it's realizing that number one, this is a problem, and you actually believe that this is a problem, and it's not just because you know other people are saying it's a problem. You have to actually see this for yourself. Um, and look into the reasons why you think that problem exists. So like Malik mentioned, what does the pipeline look like? Like how are folks coming in and how do we get the same type of person every single time as a hire? Maybe it's because we're only looking at Queens University for an example, not to, to throw a dig there, but uh, maybe you need to expand that. Maybe where you're posting the jobs is only catering to certain people. Maybe you need to take that job posting and put it in communities like you know, if you're in tech, BPTN, Black Professionals, you know, in tech network has thousands of, of Black professionals ready looking for, for work. Maybe you need to drop a job posting in there. You need to contribute and collaborate with a company like that. Maybe you need to collaborate, you know, uh, something we see in tech that's a huge issue is, is women in engineering aren't really represented. So maybe you need to partner with girls who code or, or things like that. And you need to look into different options to increase that pipeline and increase the chances of other folks other than to put it frankly white men from getting those those jobs every single time so uh, you need to be open and you need to just kind of do your research on different resources available and hopefully that's that's a great question. Question. Okay, okay. <laughs> awesome you. i don't know if we have any any other questions we're, we're reaching time here but yeah, I think we're about like two minutes away, but um, I just want to say like, again, thank you guys so much for, for taking the time to speak with us. Um, definitely check out Dak and Malik's um, podcast at themadmix.com um, to hear even more. Um, I would love to see like what kind of the next guests that you guys kind of uh, are, are open to sharing with us that are going to be on the show. Um, and then hopefully, like, I hope everybody like got uh, a good understanding of what liberation means and, and how to become your authentic self, because this isn't just a black problem. It is a human problem. You know, yeah. it is just us trying to exist in a world where we all feel that we can just be. And I think that's all it is at the end of the day. Let's just have empathy and, and be open and make a better work, work environment for all of us. Totally, totally. Season four coming in hot. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye.